Yo, welcome back to the Nigerian Filmmaker, podcast for us to talk about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Imoe Moren. He is a writer and independent filmmaker. He has directed several films, which include Children of Mud, The Coffin Salesman, and The Habib Macaulay Affair. His film, Hard Times, won an EMVC for Best New Media Video. We talk about his inspiration, directing children, and tips on securing distribution for your film. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Imoyo. Welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, can you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Imoyo Moran. I'm a film director, TV producer, indie film director. That's uh, what I'm categorized as mostly. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's me. I'm, an, I'm a Nigerian guy, loves fried chicken, loves watching football, and loves making films. Okay. So can you tell us how you started out in filmmaking? Um, so mostly I, I didn't start out trying to be a film director. I started out wanting to be a sitcom writer okay. uh, because I grew up watching a lot of sitcoms. Uh, and then um, I sort of just grew up on it. Television was my, my love. So I, I'm not one of those guys that had like a Eureka moment where, where you know, I had, um, I said, oh, this is the day I'm going to become a filmmaker. Oh, that's the day. You know, for me, it was just something that I gradually just grew into. So I never had like a Eureka moment that said, oh, you know, this day I become a film director. No, I started out trying to be a writer and then I kind of morphed into directing. Yeah, you have a good number of films that you've made. Um, most notably, Children of Mud, The Habit Macaulay Affair, um, and The Coffin Salesman. I read your bio and you. You worked in live TV. So how yeah. how did that um, experience kind of prepare you for making your films, becoming a director? Um, so I've been working on those live shows. Um, I somehow work either in producing or in content uh, directing, and so uh, so you're sort of you're sort of in that creative zone, yeah, where you had to, you know make a show look good. Obviously, reality shows have backstories. It's a little, so it's a bit of, there's a little bit of storytelling also in, in reality shows, game shows. Um, you know, so it's, you know, so, so it's almost film, film-like. And film is really storytelling. And so that's, that's what prepared me for that. Um, and just being, just being around that uh, frequency of people that were creative uh just kind of helped you just um learn one or two things about about that but i think essentially what it what it did for me most of all was the professionalism that came from from the business yeah uh i think just being in television the level of professionalism is very super high because there's lots of schedules you have to meet uh and all of that and then you know when you translate that to to film it makes you an even a better filmmaker because you know, you have schedules that you can keep up with. And I'm to realize television is all about schedules. So once you're able to drive that schedule uh, to the letter, you're, you're bound to be successful. So that helped a lot uh, being a filmmaker. 
working with limited budgets and limited time, you had to schedule everything and make sure you hit your numbers. Yeah. Okay, you know, like um you've you've won some awards, most notably the AMVCS for the um new media video that's for hard times mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. um the best actor for topper in the happiness limited can mm-hmm. you talk more about um hard times it was a silent film yeah yeah that is basically the first nollywood uh black and white silent film hard times was a film i made during off season um basically i, I, I worked for television that whole year and i was trying to buy back my soul I said, you know what? Let's go back to 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 how we started, <laughs> you know. So I just went. I didn't even think it was going to win an award. I just made the film for myself, to be honest. Yeah. I remember when I was making the film, a friend of mine came by and said, "Nobody's going to watch this shit." I'm like, "Hey, man, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm making it for my own fan base." Uh, and so we won the award, and for us, it was good representation for us uh, indie art scene, and it just showed us that there was a there were people actually watching these things. And that we could win an award in the mainstream mainstream um, award show, so it was a good time for us. Uh, it was the first time that in Hollywood that we had made a black and white silent film. Um, I, I mean, I felt I felt good about it. it. Was validation for my efforts and for efforts of the actors that put in and walk into the film. Yeah. Um, but it just showed that there was the, there was a, an audience that wanted to watch something else aside from uh, the usual uh, bling and glamour. Yeah. So yeah, like for me, um, you are kind of the quintessential indie director. I don't even think it's about the size of the budget. Is that you have your fan base, and um, you know they always show up for you when you release your films. Can you talk more about the following you've gotten over the years? Um, is this something you consciously were working towards, or they just started rallying behind you? Um. I'll, I'll say I'll say half and half, half and half. Um, you know, one time I went for a film festival overseas, and then the festival organizer showed me some films that were coming from my country. And for me, I didn't like the fact that these were the people that were assumed to be the people that made films. These were the only people that made films in my country because I knew that in in Nollywood there are lots of different types of filmmakers, and so for us to be pigeonholed into one genre or subgenre, I didn't really like it. So I decided then to speak about my work, my projects and what I'm doing. Uh, but also my fan base has also grown almost organically, you know, just following what I released. I mean, it, my, my films are not the biggest films of the year, but lots of people, you know, anytime we, we release something, everybody's dying to watch it. It's like an audience waiting for it. Yeah. Everybody's trying to watch it. Everybody's clamoring for it, you know. And so we sort of build that cult following for, for my work. And, and that's been really helpful because, you know, now I have my own army. So when I'm going to negotiate or I'm going to do something, I'm like, yo, I'm going to bring my entire army here. And then, you know, everybody knows that, okay, there's representation. Because now we live in a world where representation is key. Yeah. So if you're saying that, oh, I'm going to do this thing, I'm doing this thing, doing this thing, everybody's going to ask you how many people are following that thing, how many people watch it, how many people listen to that thing. So we live in a world of representation. And so it is growing organically. Honest, honest to God, sometimes I don't know how. Because sometimes I just wake up in the morning and you know, people are like, yo, man, why are you making the next film? Oh, I saw the coffee sales, but oh my God, I saw you my mother. And everybody's just trying to fight. Everybody's like, why you don't put your film on Netflix? So everybody's trying to fight for me to get even more mainstream. And it's surprising for me to see 
like I have dedicated followers. I've watched all my works from all sorts of trouble to happy Macaulay. You know, they've watched everything that I've done, you know. So it's, it's very pleasing to me as a director to have to have an audience that actively follow my work. It may not be a lot, it may not be a million people, but it's enough. Yeah. Yeah, what, what type of stories do you like to tell? I mean, I like to take, I like to tell human stories. Uh, I like to show the vulnerability of human beings. I like us, I like to confront society with something that we have been trying to avoid. Yeah. Um, so I like telling stories about the human struggle, human triumph, uh, and realistic as possible. I mean, sometimes it may be a bit heartbreaking in the end, but what I strive to do is to tell the truth with my films. And my philosophy is that if one person has, a, has been affected by my film to go out and help somebody else, I would have achieved all I came to Earth to do. Okay. And um, talking about Children of Mud, it was inspired yeah. by a true life story. How did you yes. come about the original story? I mean, I'm from that part of the country where kids are thrown out of their houses and accused of witchcraft because of one thing or the other. Um, they, they, we live in a world where people no longer take responsibility for their own actions. So they outsource the, the responsibility to other people. So if you're not succeeding in life, it's either your wife bewitched you, your stepmother bewitched you, or everybody hates you, or the government did that to you. So that's the universe that we live in. Yeah. And so these kids are a product of that lack of responsibility by adults who somehow look for who to blame for their own misfortune. And which, if you have a good conversation with them, you realize it boils down to sometimes their lack of uh, intelligence or lack of, uh, you know, uh, you know, just sacrifices to be successful. Mm. Uh, because sometimes, you know, to be successful, you have to make sacrifices. You have to go through certain things for you to go beyond that. And so now what do you do? The next thing you look around, you're like, oh, this was this weird-looking kid with big eyes, this kid is a witch, this kid is a wizard, throw him out of the house. Yeah. You know? And so we ascribe too much uh, power to nefarious uh, spirits. Uh, and then we kind of just sit back and expect that life would somehow happen. But life doesn't happen. And so this, that's what happened with these kids. Because I come from that region, um, you know, where these things happen. And I have, um, you know, I have witnessed it firsthand, but I have seen it happen to people. I've seen these kids on the street. And I said, you know what, I'll make a film about it. And luckily for me, the film, you know, was as impactful as I wanted. It was shown in UNICEF. It was shown in the American Black Film Festival. It has been everywhere. Sometimes, you know, people call me from different parts of the country and say, oh, I just saw children on mud. It recently got an Apple TV. Yeah. Uh, and also for me, it's like, I like the fact that uh, I documented that story, showed it. I mean, the, the actress was the youngest person ever nominated for an MVCA. She went up, went up against um, Omotala Jalade and everybody else. Yeah. And everybody thought she was going to win, even in the end, Omotala won, which obviously is okay. But just being 12, being nominated for an MVCA Best Actress category, it was a, was a big, big deal for us. Yeah. It was a big deal for us. And, you know, it showed how, just how much work we put in there. And we're nominated for like four, four categories, the best uh, a movie West Africa and some of the two other categories, think best art direction and one of them one, yeah. you know, at the MVCS. And for us, it was, it was a big deal. We were, we were happy about it. Uh, we didn't win, but we're happy that we're competing with with with, with massive films yeah. around the continent. So, you know, it was good for us. But we hold the record of the actress being the youngest actress ever nominated for the MVC. We yeah. hold our record. 
Yeah. And you ended up working with her on the um, coffin salesman. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we started working together on the Happiness Limited. Okay. Uh, which I made and licensed to Yoroko. Okay. And then we now worked, worked on Children of Mud. And then we now worked on the coffin salesman. Yeah. You know, what extra measures do you um, put in place when you're, um, you know, directing kids? There's this notion that, you know, it's always um, difficult to direct kids. How do you do it? Because, I mean, you have made three films with a kid being in a central yeah. position. Yeah. I, I think that um, for me, I treat them as an adult, as adults. Uh, I mean, like when we're walking together, not every other place, usually, usually like uh, they will come with their parents, their parents usually will be hotels with them and everything and all that. Yeah. But once they come on set, I treat them like adults. And you'd be surprised how intelligent kids are. You know, I tell them exactly what emotion I want them to feel. I tell them, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. I show them samples. And I promise you, those kids go there and perform. Yeah. You know, so for me, uh, when you're directing a child, don't underrate their own ability to grasp information. Yeah. Kids, kids soak up, uh, kids soak up a lot of information. Uh, a lot of times, they mimic, they mimic, um, you know what adults do. And so most times, when I'm directing them, I can show and tell like, oh, this is what I need to do. You know, and sometimes, you know, they get it right. And just being accessible to them, you know, them coming up to you. I think generally, my philosophy in life is that. Everybody can act once they are comfortable enough. Yeah. So one of the first steps as a director to pull out the performance from an actor is to get them to relax and be comfortable. Because if you look, all of us, when we're young, we used to jump up and down in our houses, sing inside the fan, yeah. you know, draw things on our faces, run around, all that, all that, all that. The reason we did that was because we we're comfortable we're in our home. And so that's the key thing. Once you, once you make an actor, even adults, once you make an actor comfortable, you can you can extract one of the greatest performances from them once they can trust you because uh, performance is about trust. It's like if I fall, you're gonna catch me. Yeah. So there's gotta be a trust between the director and the actor. And so when the when the actor trusts you as a director, and you can get that. So the key thing is winning them over, getting them to plug into the vision and gaining their trust. And now you now get the performance out of them. You also work with um, would I say non-mainstream actors like how do you mm. go about discovering them what's your auditioning process like um, my audition process is pretty open i put i put up a notice and like oh we're casting for so 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 thing people come on everybody comes in auditions uh if sometimes even like real big names come through uh, like we're about to shoot a series now we had an open audition for two days you know everybody came through big names small names I, i'm uh so i'm a guy that hires actors i don't care about movie stars i hire actors yeah if you're a good actor and you're good for that role Sometimes you may be good, but you may not be the what we're looking for for that particular role. Uh. So it doesn't mean that you're a bad actor. It just means maybe we're looking for somebody that talks with a lisp for yeah. a character. And then, you know, and because sometimes some actors, when they don't get a part, they get upset like, oh, you didn't cast me for your thing. Oh, man, I'm not talking to you again. That sort of thing. But, you know, that's not how it rolls. What it rolls is that, you know, you come, you 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 audition, we see that you're you're the one for the job and we 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 hire you. I don't I don't have any I don't care about who's a big name or who's I mean I know a lot of big names that are my personal friends that will never work together. Mm. <laughs> so many of them that we are personal friends and that we never work together. And they keep saying, well, when are you gonna hire me? When I I'm like, you know what, when I find the right right role for you, you know, we'll work together. We're here for for a long time. Uh so for me, it's like once you're good, once you're good at the job, the job is yours. Yeah. You made a film about Herbert Macaulay, the founding father of yeah. Grand Nationalism. 
Um, yes. How did you go about planning to make this um, period drama? Topic? I started by writing and researching. The researching took uh, was very lengthy because we couldn't find enough materials in Nigeria. We had to get some materials from the UK. The library in the background was burnt down. I had some of his letters, hmm. some of his things. I cried so much at how badly we document our things. We do not, we, we're so bad with documenting things, our history books. It's just sad. It's really, really sad. I broke down and cried, really. Me and my writer, you know, we're so depressed about that whole thing, just trying to get these things together, bits and pieces of the guy's history. Uh, it was it was difficult for us, but eventually we pieced together enough information to make our story. Yeah. What was surprising for us is that most people thought how Macaulay was white. They didn't realize he was a black man. It was so sad to hear that. And so we uh, so we started uh, one of Habits Grand Kids was also my co-producer. I hired one of Habits Grand Kids because I wanted it to be as authentic as possible. Yeah. His voice, you know, the way he looked. In fact, the first day I sent the picture to Habit Macaulay's uh, descendants. He said, that's Habib Macaulay. <laughs> uh-huh. He said, that's Habib Macaulay. He's, he's, he's an old man. And that's what, that's what I was trying to do, was try and document this enigmatic figure that we've somehow ignored in our history, sort of. Yeah. You know, that was one of the guys that, you know, really pushed for our nationalism. So, you know, so we started out, we cast the right actor, uh, William Benson. In fact, it was the UK when, when I was trying to make the film. I had to wait for him to get back to Nigeria. Yeah. And I hired him for the project and got him to get ready. We watched shows like The Crown and some period pieces about, uh, you know, period pieces of that era. We learned some bit of mannerism, how they, how they spoke, how they dressed, how they, how they carried themselves. Uh, we learned quite a lot of little things that we added to his character. Uh, and then, you know, for me, even everybody on the film looks as close to real life characters as, as physically possible. Every single oh, person were very, very popular. We found the pictures. If we didn't find the picture. We found the picture of the descendants to see how they looked physically. And then we used that to hire the people that look like them. Because what we have is a film that even in 50 years to 100 years, you go out and watch the McClure thing like, oh, this is what happened. Man, this was real. This is actually what happened. Yeah. And that's what we did with, with the film. Of course, it's, it's a period drama. How did you go about, you know, sourcing props, you know, location, costumes? Uh, for costumes, we made everything from scratch. Every single costume that was made from scratch, we built a lot of the sets. Luckily for us, uh, we shot part of it in Ibadan, and Ibadan still has a bit of the colonial building in some places left. Yeah. Uh, but the rest, we built, we built a lot of the sets. Uh, we built the props as well. We found the pictures, found the dimensions, and built them. Yeah, uh, we built everything. The cars we built, we we built so many things, man. Uh, it was it was intensive in terms of art direction, just trying to get everything to the level that it was. Uh, so we did we did a lot of work uh, building a lot of those things. Mm. I read that um, you know you tweeted about wanting to make um, this film, and mm-hmm. somebody DM'd you that how much do you need? Yes. Straight up, I just said, I just said, oh, I want to make a film about her Macaulay. And somebody says, how much do you need? And send me the money. <laughs> so yeah. we send me part of the money because I, I co-funded it myself. But yeah. he, sent, he sent me part of the money. And literally, that's how I made the film. Uh, you know, so for me, raising finance for it wasn't very hard. But, but you know, but at this point, when I made Happy Macaulay, I already had a big reputation. Yeah. And people already see my, a lot of my works and they know children of mud. 
they know the coffin salesman, they know, you know, the happiness limited. People kind of know, okay, is it more? It's going to make something different. And so when the guy sends me a DM and says, you know, how much do you need? I want to co-fund the project. And he did. And I put up the other half and we went on and shot the film. <laughs> you know, so so that's how that's how I made having my club FM. In a normal project, how do you, mm. you know, go about um, with looking for finance for your film as an indie filmmaker? I mean, there are two ways I raise money. Sometimes I put up my own money. Sometimes people would offer to invest in my films. But I'm, I don't accept money from everybody because most people don't know uh, the film gestation period. Some people think it's a fat. Like, okay, if I, if I, if I put 50 million, if I put 20 million, you're going to give me 100 million in one month or two months. So, yeah. so usually when people try to offer me money, I'm like, no, I don't worry about it. I don't want it. Uh, because there's no point accepting money from people. At the end of the day, there's too much pressure from you. We're, we're trying to create art. And so, you know, this is not a... So I'm not selling bananas. Yeah. So most times I don't accept money. And, and to be honest, that's why I keep my films budget manager because I want that creative control. Now, yeah. people can say, you know, and listen, I'm not knocking anybody that, you know, makes their own films their own way. It's fine. I watch them. A lot of them are my friends. I go to their premieres. I watch them. I enjoy them. I'm there with them. You know, but for me, I just have a different philosophy about my films in that I want creative control because I want to be able to tell the story that I want to tell without you, without me worrying about what you think in the sense that I'm not being a snob, but I don't want you to tell me what film to make yeah. because then the vision is not original to, to me. You know, I, don't, I mean, you have your own idea, especially if you're putting up the money for it. You probably come and say, Imo, hire this person. Now, I may not want to hire that person because... You know, I don't think that's the right person to do the project. And you may want me to hire the person. And it becomes a bit of an issue because obviously you're my executive producer and you want that, 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 that. I don't really want to go down that path. Uh, so for me, I like that creative control of making a film and saying, you know what, I made that film. That's my vision. That's my film. But the key thing for me is that I made the film the way I wanted to make it and people went and watched it and that was it. Yeah. Your latest film, Dear Bio, it was shot in the mm. Niger Delta. Yes. So this is like quite peculiar because um most people shoot in Lagos, Abuja, other places. So what were the benefits of shooting in Niger Delta? It was an original story that was that was set in the Niger Delta. So for me, it was just more soulful to go and shoot in the Niger Delta. Uh you know. And it was beautiful just to go there and just capture that soul of that place. If you watch Dear Bio, that's the first thing that hits you is the soulfulness of the film that comes across to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I went there and shot it. I, I, I don't shoot most of my films in Lagos, to be honest. I really, I think I probably just shot Club. I'm part of having Macaulay Affair. Uh, I usually shoot my film out of Lagos because uh, I want to be able to film exteriors without fear of area boys jumping me. Yeah. So what I found helpful was, um, you know, before this interview, I I was able to like look for some of your films and find them on several streaming platforms. How do you select who you license your film to? What criteria do you have that the VOD platforms must meet? Uh, I mean, what happens is that I have I have different distributors yeah. uh, for my different projects, and so they come to me and say, "Sometimes they give me a long list and say, so some someone license your film.' So we go through the list." look at the ones, the deals that are good, and then we go for it. Uh, 
So almost every other every other week, you know, I've got an email about some licensing, uh, people trying to license the projects uh, and all that. Every other week, even. We also look at platforms that are also in tune with what we're doing. Um, like I said, you know, my films appeal to certain kind of people. I want it to be that way. I don't necessarily want my film to be, you know, on HBO or Netflix or NTA or any No, I don't necessarily want that. I want like, yo, if you're putting my film on your platform, what are our targets? So most times people will send a proposal, people will send, um, the companies will send you a brief introduction of their company and their numbers and their target market, what they have. We go through it, we see it. We say, okay, now let's go, let's strike a deal. Uh, you know? So for me, like I said, money is not my primary objective. I mean, I make money. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. I make a lot of money, but it's not my driving force. I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh man, you know, this film has to make a hundred million. No, it doesn't have to make a hundred million. This film has to be seen by people that it is meant for. So it has to impact the people that it's meant to impact. And that's, that for me is my, my primary objective of filmmaking is, is to, like I said, this is not a knock on anybody that, that has a different uh, reason why they make films. People make films for so many different reasons. But for me, I knew why I got into filmmaking and I saw that just um, I'm on the right path to what I'm trying to achieve with my filmmaking. Yeah. So Kelechi Udebe has um, featured in mm-hmm. at least three of your films. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk more about your collaboration with him? As an actor. Oh, and then he's also in my new series, Channel 77. And we're about to shoot a new sitcom uh, from Sunday together. Um, so Kelet is a, is a very frequent collaborator with me because he's the one guy that I know that can weave between comedy and serious. He can do everything. And it's almost sometimes like I live through him in the sense of what I'm trying to achieve. It's like he knows exactly what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Like we recently licensed Transformation to Glow, so it's going to be launched soon. And when you see that show, you will be astounded at how how massive Kelechi Degbe is, how amazing he is. And literally, for every project that we worked on, it's almost like we are twins yeah. because every single thing that I think of is what he does. Is what like I tell him when I'm explaining his motivation to him or even his special reaction, he knows exactly what I want and he just does it and sometimes I just find myself clapping I'm like god damn it this is so good <laughs> and so so we've had that uh, we, we do oh bro we work a lot so we're about to start a sitcom we're shooting a new sitcom starting uh, on Sunday and so he's always in in fact sometimes some people have to say like yo stop using Kelechi I'm like you know uh-huh. what <laughs> so I have a couple of friends are like you know Kelechi doesn't work together doesn't look like we're always together yeah uh, but I mean he's a brilliant brilliant actor and and most most uh, directors around the world have frequent collaborators that they that they work with, uh, yeah. and so once you find an actor that really interprets your vision, why why are you gonna find somebody else? Yeah, definitely. So um, mm. let's talk about Channel Seventy Seven. Um, you were on set, mm. and then the pandemic happened, and there was a lockdown. Yes. How did you deal with that? I mean, it was it was torrid time. It was horrible, a horrible experience. Uh, because we had invested so much money in it, built all these elaborate sets and everything, and everything came crashing down. Uh, we didn't finish the series. It was even till now, 
very difficult just getting back to work. And one of my actors lost two of my uncles. It was a horrible experience for everybody. So I had to shut down. I had to shut down. I heard some people were still shooting, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to risk the lives of people by putting people in a space uh, to keep walking. Because it was a big cast, big crew members, almost like they're close to 100 people on set every day. I said, no, 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 I'm not doing this shit. You know, so we, we stopped walking and, you know, we are only just recovering from the pandemic. We spent close to a year just uh, dealing with that. But what I did do is that I spent that time just editing what we had shot uh, so far yeah. and, yeah. you know, try to license those. Uh, license some in the U.S. And we just license some to blow, license the whole thing to blow. Um, you know, so, you know, we're, we're getting lots of licensing requests now. Um, so, you know, I think that by the end of the year, slash next year, we will be in a lot of platforms. Okay. So did you, did okay. you um, eventually go back on set or you just had to, you know, work with what you guys should No, no, I didn't, I didn't go back. I didn't go back on set because I didn't have the money. I lost a lot of money, bro. I, didn't, yeah. I couldn't go back. We couldn't go back. So what we did, we just paid people up to where we stopped. Uh, just paid everybody, crew cast. We had to just, uh, uh, just go back. Uh, but luckily, we had shot, uh, I think, about 10, 10 episodes on Airbnb. And so it was supposed to be a one-hour show, but I had to now cut it down to be 30 minutes because at the end of the day, it just didn't work out the way we planned it. Uh, but that's life. But we will continue. Uh, we're currently writing the new season for Channel 77. So I think that once we launch uh, we launch it uh, this July, we will then proceed to, to shadow shooting in a, in a new season. So let's talk about, um, you know, making money from films. I think, yeah, you're kind of good with um, distribution, you know, getting the VOD platforms. I mean, you've taken yeah. one of your films to cinema. You've made some TV films. Yeah. Can you talk us through, like, the different options you have for maximizing profits from, you know, your your intellectual property? Yeah, I think the, I think the number one way to... First thing, on your, on your IP on your IP, no matter what happens, even if you shoot an ant crawling into a hole, own that shit. The next step is to make sure that it is shot well, technically brilliant, everything story-wise, performance-wise. The third step is to find a distributor that distributes your type of films. Mm. For instance, if you make an art film, don't go and try and get a mainstream distributor to shoehorn your film in there. You're going to hurt yourself. It's a waste of time and you get no money. Yeah. And so when you find a distributor, be patient with yourself. Be patient, find the right distributor for your project, and then sit back and enjoy your wealth. Because what happens is that the distributors are going to take your film, pitch it to different platforms, and send you your monies, take their cuts, send your monies. Sometimes you can also be involved in there by going directly to the, to the broadcasters and saying, oh, listen, you want to, want to license my film? Uh, do not be be shameless in your marketing. Approach your marketing like a market woman mm. selling pepper, selling secondhand clothes. Yeah. Approach it like that. Don't be too cool for your own marketing. Go down, go down and dirty. Talk, talk a good game. Like, yo, I'm making her a Macaulay affair. It's going to be the best film of the year. Now, it doesn't have to be the best film of the year or the best film of that five years. It's not the best film of the year. It doesn't mm. matter. But when you're confident enough in selling your product, people will listen to you and like, oh, okay, let's go and see that product. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, so be shameless about it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You have a product, a good product, take it to market. You know, sell it, get people to buy it, get people to talk about it, engage people on it. It may be criticism, it's fine. It may be compliments, it's fine. As far as people talk about that product, the product has market value. But essentially, make films that can be watched all around the world that people will understand the story. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the films that we make here sometimes don't go beyond the borders because the stories are too typical to us and people outside don't know what, what it is that they're talking about. Make stories that you could watch in India, watch in Japan, watch, you know, wherever Australia and it's still relevant. People still understand what that story is about. That way you don't limit your market to just Nigeria-wide or Africa-wide. Yeah. You can license all around the world and you still make a lot of money. Okay. So for um, the Haber Macaulay Affair, you also took the route of merchandising some stuff. Yeah. So can you talk more about that? Well, I, would, I think I feel merchandising is something that we have not really explored in Nollywood. Uh, and I was surprised. We made over three to four millionaire from just merchandising of Haber Macaulay. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, in fact, at the point we were overwhelmed, I just said, you know, we're not doing it again. You know, so so I didn't, I didn't I just started start to explore it because I was like I wanted something people to have uh, something to hold on to, to remember. You know, like we had we have Hard Rock Cafe uh, T-shirts, or you have Back to the Future, yeah, uh, Back to the Future T-shirts. You know, and then I wanted something that people can hold on to and say I was there in that moment uh. because the film you can forget about the film, but you can still have the hoodie in your house. Uh, so, so, so we explored that and we had so many people, people used to just order for their companies, order for their offices. It was amazing. I was so overwhelmed. I wanted to put a stop to it. It was amazing that even after the film had been out of the cinema, like even as recently as two months ago, someone still ordered her Macaulay uh, hoodie, ordered five of it, yeah. you know? <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's a legit source of revenue that can add to your total, uh, you know, revenue in the end. And it could even outlive your 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 film's uh, cinema run because yeah. if it could be five years down the line, somebody wants to have it. Literally, I think it was even yesterday, somebody asked me on Twitter, like, are you not still making a habit hoodies? I'm like, you know what? We're not really uh, doing that because we're swamped with other projects right now. And then maybe after those projects, we'll, we'll bring back a classic. Maybe like maybe the five years anniversary, we'll relaunch, we re- relaunch uh, the hoodies again and, and 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 all that and the film again. Mm. Okay, good stuff. So, as a filmmaker, what inspires you to wake up every morning and you know go on set and make stuff? Um, there's so many things. Uh, the people around me, my mother, my my kid. There's so many things that 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 inspire me. My child inspires me a lot these days because I want him to grow up and and have a record of his father. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to die sometime in future. And obviously, God willing, my child will outlive me. And maybe through my films, he would understand his father better, you know, you know, and then maybe that that can inspire him some somehow. Uh, you know, uh, my mom was really, my late mom was really an inspiration to me. My mom was a university lecturer. Yeah. And she used to take out books for me to read in the library. And that really inspired me. I always wanted to make stories for her. Unfortunately, she died when I was 13, uh, but I always wanted to make stories for her to, you know, to show her, you know, that I was good enough. Yeah. <laughs> that I had learned something from her. Oh. My mom was very brilliant. 
then people just inspire me just being around Nigerians, just seeing how we overcome difficulty and everything, you know. This is just uh it's just it's just it's just inspiring. Yeah. That's that's very key. Okay, how about, you know, craft-wise, do other filmmakers, you know, inspire your work? Oh yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of filmmakers inspire my work. The key, the key being uh, my friend Walter Taylor, uh, who made Bomber Bomber Express. Uh, he just made a new film, Jolly Roger. That's my one of my number one inspiration uh, in Nigeria. There's a director called Wes Anderson. Yeah, He's an American director. He inspires me a lot. His art direction is amazing. Um, you know, and then I just I'm inspired by a lot of other indie filmmakers, man. Like I have this whole indie uh, filmmaker group that I'm in and so many things that push around the wall in Norway, in Sweden. There are just so many people making like brilliant, brilliant films. Yeah. And so, so they inspire me a lot when I just, you know, hear them talk and we just vibe about different things. You know, you know what's happening in your country, what are you making? You know, just, we just iron sharpen iron. So we just bounce off ideas. Yeah. You know, if you're stuck on an island and you have to watch one film or one TV series over and over again, which one would that be? Uh, the first I'll watch will be The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. uh, which is based on a book by Douglas Adam. It used to be based on the BBC radio drama. Yeah. But it became a book. Now if the book came for the drama, I'm focusing on, on, on thinking about it. And then they made a film out of it, and it was amazing. Um, another film that I will watch over and over again is Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. Yeah. Just like Nigeria, Nollywood needs um, a lot of improvements. For you, what yeah. should we be focusing on? And I'll say stories. I'll say stories. Um, but this is a result of distribution also. Because distributors now dictate what filmmakers are making, filmmakers tend to now write similar stories because something worked one time. So let's say a film is called uh, Golden Lagosians. And it's a film about rich Lagosians living in Banana Island, yeah. the 1%. And that film made 150 millionaire. Yeah. The next person that's going to make a film is going to make Shine Lagosians. And tries to mimic that whole thing. And maybe that one makes 70 million naira. Guess what? The is gonna make something similar. Yeah. And try to key into that market. And that makes the stories not diverse enough. And that makes us we literally make the same things. And it's so bad that we even hire the same guys for the same type of films, you know, that they look like sequels of each other. Mm. <laughs> you know? So and get, don't get me wrong. It's nothing wrong with trying to make what's happening because I've been mean, even in, even in Hollywood, the time they made the uh, White House down and then they made uh, a very similar film to Olympus it, uh, has fallen. What's up? Uh, Olympus has fallen, you know. Yeah. So they make a lot of very similar fifty-one dates. They made the time they make it like rom-coms and they were so so similar. Yeah. Uh, because those were the elements of films that were selling, but this is a result of creatives allowing people that are not creative to dictate to them what they should make. And whether we like it or not, that's very damaging to our craft. It may look like, oh, okay, we're trying to make a buck, but in the end of the day, we're not fucking Comedy Central. Yeah. We are an industry with diverse people, hundreds and hundreds of different filmmakers with different backgrounds. Yeah. Why we try to tell the same story? When the stories are bounding all around the country. 
would I tell the same story? Why? Why are we doing that? You know, so for me, it's story, which is dependent on distribution and cowardice, to be honest. Because if you're brave enough, you got to make the film that you want to make and like, fuck everybody. This is yeah. a film I want to make, you know, and that's it. But then I guess also people want to make money. But I personally don't think from my school of thought that money should be the number one driving force to why you want to make a film, uh, you know, but, you know, it's only wrong if that's what you want to do. You want to make your money, then that's fine, you know, but at least just try and tell a good story. Yeah. So how can people keep up with your work? Uh, well, I mean, I announced, I announced my work most times. Most times it's shown on TV or, or a broadcast platform. Most people get to see it. Um, like I know I'm shooting a new series uh, and then I'm shooting a sitcom and then I'm shooting The Pretty Ones Are Loneliest you know so you know I announced my work I try to promote it as much as I can people that see it get to see it and and new work is coming out I would love new work coming out I'm wait for your new work mm-hmm. what's the social media handle? social media is at Imao Moran on Twitter that's where I'm, I am mostly and uh, then Instagram is at the Imo Marin. Thank you, Imo, for coming on the podcast. And all the best with yeah. um, your shoot. Thanks. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. this. We have come to the end of this episode. Please remember to leave a written and a review. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Lego Film. And the podcast also on Instagram and Twitter at the Niger Film Pod. See you on the next episode. Have a good one.